You're listening to the Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's Word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. My name is Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Clay Maynard. We're two guys committed to the centrality of the gospel, and we want to see our brothers and sisters be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. Good afternoon, Clay. What's up, Josh? How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I just realized we have officially recorded at all times of the day now. Oh, is Early that in the morning, late at night. And now in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a Sunday afternoon. We actually are recording this episode from the Maynard home. Yes, Maynard Manor. <laughs> yeah, we're over here uh, on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Josh and his wife just came over and figured we'd just knock this out right here at the house. And we have a live audience. Yeah, we do have a live audience. We have Emma and Felicity. Yeah, they're here watching and listening to us record the podcast yeah my seven-year-old and five-year-old uh listening in as we record so um they're very excited they you can tell on their faces josh they're honored they can tell they're in the presence of greatness right now (laughs) (laughs) okay so my youngest daughter emma just turned her face away in shyness when i said that (laughs) so i don't think she feels as honored as maybe i thought but and then our wives are sitting in the other room gossiping but they're not listening, so they didn't they didn't respond to that. Yeah, I don't think they listen to the podcast at all, Josh. I, I think they started maybe out listening to us, but after that it just got old. It's oh, like no, not at all. They were no. like Michaela never listened to it. Yeah, they're like, she never did. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of our uh you know, it's like it's like when you first start something, your mom's the first one to listen. But then eventually because <laughs> they're so proud of you, but then eventually they just they're like, ah, these are just two nerds talking about theology. Well, and bless our wives' heart hearts they hear us talk about this stuff like every time we get around each other yeah so like why do they even need to listen to the show (laughs) when you're yeah when we when we're together as it is they are like when this stuff starts they're like oh let's go get let's go to the kitchen and get something yeah can we get out of here let's go let's go watch them they're talking about theology again (laughs) (laughs) josh today is actually only my second week officially as a staff member at Fellowship Baptist Church. That's right, Bishop Clay. <laughs> Officially Bishop Clay. <laughs> yeah, I've been serving in the worship leader role at the church for almost three years, yeah. two and a half years, something like that. But um, this has been an opportunity and the church wants to expand what we're doing in our music and we're very excited about you that. You kind a lot of started of, like right before the storm, right? Yeah, right before Hurricane Michael hit Panama City. Uh, I was there and, and a little bit after it, I, you know, there was a couple of other people that I was working with at the time. And then it was around, I think the beginning of 2019 that I became the lead guy uh, for the worship music there at the church. Yeah. Right. Like May, May, June, right in there, if I remember correctly. Yeah, So right, right around two years actually of me in that role. Um, the main leader. Yeah. Yeah. As the main guy. And then this is though, uh, kind of a step forward for the church you know, increasing our programs, increasing some of the stuff we're doing. And it's just exciting um, to be a part of that and to be a worship pastor at a church again. That's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad you're on board, buddy. Thanks yeah, yeah. for coming. It's a great time. It's been awesome. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more happy to be working with guys like uh, Pastor Tyler Bro and Pastor Josh Johnson. Mostly and our, me. 
<laughs> Pastor Tyler's not even gonna listen to this, so he won't know. <laughs> and Pastor Don. Yeah, uh, Pastor Don, yeah. But he won't listen either. In fact, you know what? I'm glad you brought him up. If you guys out there listening wouldn't wouldn't mind just taking a moment praying for Pastor Don and his wife Bobby. They just have some health issues that they mm-hmm. have been battling with. And I don't know, Pastor Don's like, what, 82, 83 years old? So yeah, if you guys wouldn't mind just praying for him, we'd really appreciate that. Pastor Don, he's been doing ministry for like 60 years, I want to say. At one point, he told me before COVID happened, he had not missed a Sunday teaching Sunday school for like 50-something years. Wow. Something crazy like that. Uh, has a lot of great wisdom, but man, they've just, they've got some of their own health problems they're dealing with. So yeah, actually we hadn't really planned to talk about that or say anything about that, but if you guys wouldn't mind praying for them, they would really appreciate that. And we'd be thankful. Well, Josh, we have, uh, some cool stuff on our store. If you've not looked at our website lately, you should go check it out. We've got three colors for the young Baptist podcast t-shirt. I'm wearing one right now. Yep, It is a super comfortable shirt. It's one of the most comfortable shirts I own. It's got our logo on the back and on the front, it says the gospel changes everything. So in addition to repping your favorite podcast, you can also have a conversation starter uh, and at the very least be a gospel witness when you're out in the community. So uh, go check that out. We also have a mug with the Young Baptist Podcast logo on it. Talking about the shirt, I haven't had any direct conversations about it with people in the community, but I have watched people like pause and kind of read it and give it a second look, which mm. has been kind of cool. That I should have cool. just approached him and been like, what are you doing? But yeah, I mean, it's a you great- You don't keep a bullhorn around for those occasions just to pull out? See, and- I used to have one that I had in my back pocket <laughs> and then it got stolen at the street preacher conference and I've never been able to replace it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to have a pocket bullhorn around for those moments Absolutely. so you can just preach the gospel right, right at them, just shove it down their throat. Yeah, I mean, or- you know, picket abortion at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Or have a couple, uh, have a couple signs in your car that you can rip out and get fired up about your favorite politician. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, just land blast them with the truth. That's a, that's, that's somewhere in the Bible. I feel that verse like at? that's exactly what the apostles did. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure. It's I a, mean, Jesus said what's done in private basically will be preached on the housetops or something like that. You gotta have a bullhorn for that. Yeah. If you're on a housetop, right? Yeah. That's, that's implied in the text. I think if you go to the Greek, you'll probably find it. <laughs> yes, the Greek. Absolutely. <laughs> well, what else, Josh? We have our Q&A episode coming up. That's exciting. I'm yep. super pumped for this. Some of you have already been sending questions in, sending comments in. Thank you so much. I try to respond to all of those, but I have not been able to. I am working around to getting to responding to some of the ones I haven't yet, mm-hmm. but we are really excited about that episode. Once we finish the distinctives, this is the last, the last episode of the it distinctives. Is. So the next episode is going to be our Q and a. So if you still have something, we haven't recorded it yet. We're still putting together material for it. If you have a question that you'd like to hear us address, or if you have a question about us in general, that's yeah. not theology or podcast related, or if you just want to know our position on something, maybe you even have a suggestion for a topic yep. for a podcast episode. Like, Hey, I would love to hear an episode that covers this. I can't promise you we'll do it, but I can promise you we'll consider it. Mm-hmm. And we may answer it on the Q and a episode. We may dedicate an episode to it. So we've got some slots coming up uh, of some episodes that we haven't actually planned the topics yet. We've got a lot of our own ideas, but we'd like to hear yours. Yeah. So please send those in. And, and Clay, how can people 
How can people do that? What are some ways they can send their questions in? They can contact us via our social media pages. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. On Facebook, we're The Young Baptist Podcast. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter, we are at Young Baptist Pod. And you can email us. You can find our email on the website or we're, uh, or you can just email us directly. It's theyoungbaptistpodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about when this episode goes live, we put up on our Instagram story a little question box for a Q&A so people can just type in a question in there. That sounds great. So be on the lookout for that. When this episode goes live, you'll be able to fill that out on our Instagram. Clay is our social media czar, so he kind of <laughs> handles all of that stuff. Okay, well, with that being said, let's go into our final episode on the Baptist distinctives. Clay, what do you think? Should we kind of recap all the distinctives, like what they are, and before we jump into this one? Sure. So yeah, first off, you've got the letter B, biblical authority. Next, you have the autonomy of the local church, followed by the priesthood of all believers. Two ordinances being that of baptism and the Lord's Supper, individual soul liberty, saved membership, two offices, and then today is separation of church and state. Yeah, and this one was added a little bit later. Josh, you don't see as much in the origin documents of Baptist, of like the confessions and stuff like that. But as time goes on, you see it start to be referred to more and more as, as a very common Baptist doctrine. Uh, you really see an emergence, you know, around in the 1800s, uh, of this doctrine, particularly that, in America. Yeah. And it's not, that's not where the doctrine originated necessarily. That's just where you see Baptists really embracing it. It's like the PS of the Baptist distinctives because it, it's sort of a, it sort of came a little bit later to start off with. Let's go to the scripture. Matthew twenty two twenty one is a great jumping off point for this doctrine. It's Jesus. And he says to his disciples, render therefore unto Caesar, the things which are Caesar's and unto God, the things that are God's. Um, and so, which brings us to, you know, what have Baptists historically believed about separation of church and state? What is separation of church and state? And, and what do we believe about it? As I've been doing a little research on this, E.Y. Mullins has kind of come to the top of those who have said the most about it. I don't want to uh, belabor this too much, but his book, The Axioms of Religion, is excellent on this, and he has says several wonderful things. So we're going to read a couple sections here. On page 185 in The Axioms of Religion, E.Y. Mullen says, Mr. Bryce, in his American Commonwealth, remarks, it is accepted as an axiom by all Americans that the civil power ought to to be not only neutral and impartial as between entirely different forms of faith, but ought to leave these matters entirely on one side, regarding them no more than they regard the artistic or literary pursuits of the citizens. In short, the entire contents of the axiom is summed up in the statement that the state has no ecclesiastical and the church no civic function. And then if you turn a few pages over to page 188, he says this, we find the following in the London Confession, published in 1644. After declaring the duty of obedience to mag magistrates and all legally constituted authorities and all things lawful, the Confession in the 49th article says, But in case we find not the magistrates to favor us herein, yet we dare not suspend our practice because we believe we ought to go on in obedience to Christ in professing the faith which is declared in the Holy Scriptures, and this our confession of faith, a part of them. 
and that we are to witness to the truth of the Old and New Testament unto the death, if necessity require, in the midst of trials and afflictions as his saints of old have done. In the next article, it is declared that it is lawful for a Christian to be a magistrate and to take oaths. Under the 48th article, the following language occurs. As we cannot do anything contrary to our understandings and consciences, so neither can we forbear the doing of that which our understandings and consciences binds us to do. And if the magistrate should require us to do otherwise, we are to yield our persons in a passive way to their power, as the saints of old have done. So that's E.Y. Mullins in the Axioms of Religion. And then I found this interesting. Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association. Um, and I, I'll just read it to you. It's not very long. Uh, here's what he said. He said, gentlemen, the affectionate sentiments of esteem and approbation, which you are so good as to express towards me on behalf of the Danbury Baptist Association, give me the highest satisfaction. My duties dictate a faithful and zealous pursuit of the interests of my constituents. And in proportion as they are persuaded of my fidelity to those duties, the discharge of them becomes more and more pleasing. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith and for his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should, quote, make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, end quote thus building a wall of separation between church and state. Adhering to this expression of the supreme will of the nation in behalf of the rights of conscience, I shall see with sincere satisfaction the progress of those sentiments which tend to restore to man all his natural rights, convinced he has no natural right in opposition to his social duties. I reciprocate your kind prayers for the protection and blessing of the common father and creator of man and tender you for yourselves and your religious association assurances of my high respect and esteem. Thomas Jefferson, January 1, 1802. So even there, we can see Jefferson acknowledging the significance of, as he put it, the building a wall of separation between church and state. Yeah. And Josh Jefferson was such an important part of the founding of the country in large part because the Declaration of Independence was written by him and he was a fiery dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, he believed so much in individual freedom just on a very, obviously politically, but religiously too. And you, if you read the Declaration of Independence, I mean, it's one of the founding documents of the United States, but it, but it articulates something that he didn't come up with necessarily. It was, it is very Jeffersonian. <laughs> like it was his doctrine too, but it really goes back further than him. It goes to Thomas Aquinas. Uh, they're actually in Thomas Aquinas, uh, Aristotle, even you could say, uh, talked a lot about this. Uh, one of the more famous historical examples of this assertment of religious belief over political figures and political oppression is St. Thomas More who uh, was very angry about the fact that Henry VIII uh, was the head of the Roman Catholic Church um, of England at the time. And he refused to acknowledge him as that because he was not following the doctrines of the church. And for it, he actually he famously said, uh, some men say the earth is flat, some men say the earth is round. But if it is flat, could Parliament make it round? 
And if it is round, could the king's command flatten it? Hmm. He was beheaded for those comments. <laughs> I mean, so those, but so these ideas are not are not unique to Thomas Jefferson necessarily, but he was the one who, among others, there were a lot of of our founding fathers who, when the country was started, brought those ideas in, and that's what he's articulating to that Danbury Baptist Association, who's reaching out to him, obviously, showing some affection between one another. They're thanking God for the things that he stands for because it means religious freedom. And um, it's just really interesting to see the historical precedent and the long history of writings and ideas that while they're, while they're biblical, they have a lot of broader cultural support down through the, down through our history. Yeah. And then we see here in America, like you got Roger Williams being on yes. like basically the tip of the spear with all of that. But something that we have to remember too, is this is not, limited to the, the, the Baptist uh, interpretation of ecclesiology, the idea of the freedom of re religion that we're talking about, the separation of church and state is not limited to, if I can say it this way, Christian theology. It's also open to literally anyone who practices religion. It's the free exercise of all religion without the interference of the state. Yeah. And, and vice versa, the free exercise of the, of the social order by instituted governments without the interference of churches trying to manipulate the government to be mouthpieces or enforcement agencies for a local church or for an established denomination even. Yeah. You mentioned Roger Williams. He had to, he fled Massachusetts Bay colony because he, supported yep. the separation of church and state. There was a lot of early, even colonials who did not, who this was, this was mind blowing that anybody thought this. And probably the first Baptists was Thomas Helwes. He was a Baptist pastor in London in the early 1600s, publicly advocated for religious freedom. The King was not only the head of the government, he was the head of the church. Um, Helwes insisted that the King had absolutely no authority over spiritual, the spiritual life of his subjects. Uh, we talked about it in a previous episode, but he sends a copy of his book to the king with a quote in the front, with a handwritten note in the front that said, the king is a mortal man and not God. Yeah. <laughs> and ended up spending the rest of his life in jail because he would not abandon his convictions. So it is a very Baptist thing, but it's like you said, it's not exclusively Baptist and it's not even exclusively religious. There are secular people who understand how important this is. It is a a biblical view of freedom and an individual liberty that we have the freedom to organize re for religious purposes and the government, the state should have no interference in that. So what do we mean by separation of church and state? So the, the term state here refers to any government, right? Uh, and the Bible indicates that governments are ordained by God to provide law and order. That's Romans chapter 13 right. verses one through five. Government leaders are to act for the benefit of their citizens. According to scripture, first Peter two talks about this, how they should be, uh, they should be good men who rule in the fear of God. Baptists and other Christians um, are to honor and pray for their government officials. Scripture says we're to pay taxes. According to Matthew 22, the passage we just read, Jesus was encouraging them to pay their taxes. Uh, it, it reiterates this in Romans 13. Uh, and to obey the government, except when obedience would be clearly contrary to God's will. Historically, Baptists have affirmed their belief in what Paul says is leave it, living peaceably with all men. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that And it says, and that's especially true of being peaceable with other Christians, but it's not only Christians. Well, if you read the verbiage of some of the confessions and like we just read 1644, they basically make the case for if the government tells you to do it, just do it. Yeah, they do. And, and, and unless it transgresses the law of God, just do it and be peaceable about it, which maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, Josh, we, we tend to like, we're so American that we can maybe be sometimes unbiblical. Mm -hmm. You know, we're so individualistic. And I think I love American individualism. I like the record individualism of America. You know, I'm, I'm very, you know, there's a part of me that likes that rebellious fighting spirit, but biblically speaking, we should be doing our best to always do what's asked of us and only pushing back when it when it crosses that line to the government telling us how to practice religion when it when it tells us what to do in spiritual disciplines and in a spiritual expression of worship to god that's when we have to push back and it's like we were talking about before we started today last year kind of really We've never had to really evaluate this situation here in America before. If we're just being honest, like our generation have never had to deal with this. And then with COVID coming up and the restrictions and stuff like that, a lot of people have had to take a step back and, okay, let's talk about separation of church and state. Yep. And yeah, it made people re-examine, wait a second, can, what can the government tell us to do? Can they tell us not to have service right now? Right. Can they tell us how we can have services? How long should we allow them to tell us that? When do we make decisions based upon the health and welfare of the people around us off government recommendations? And when do we say, okay, this is the enough. church must <laughs> gather together. Yeah. It's, it was a challenging year for that, but I think it showed the importance of what we're talking about today. Yeah. I saw a, a great article written by friend of the podcast, uh, Josh Tice. Yeah. He wrote a podcast so that, or he wrote an article on his blog and it said the local church, some assembly required. Yeah. <laughs> So it was like, hey, we can we can stretch this out as long as we can, but at some level, how do we how are we the church if we're not gathered? You know, how are we the church if we're not assembled? And and so he was making he in his article, you can be free to go read it. I'm not going to make the case for him, but what I do think is is inter it, what's interesting is you've had a lot of pastors like Josh and like us. I mean, here we were. You didn't they didn't teach us this in seminary. They didn't. No, I didn't at go all. to seminary. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to Bible college even. There was no class. But there's no classes on this stuff. They don't prepare you for this. Everybody was looking at their pastors like, hey, what's the plan? And they were like, we don't have a plan. This has never happened before. And so we were reexamining, as you said, separation of church and state afresh. Hey, what? where do we, where do we not let the government tell us what to yeah. do here? When do we have to say, hey, look, we've thought through the, the challenges. We've thought through the, the dangers. And at some point we have to gather. And where do you say, hey, is there a way we can gather? Is there a way we can minister? Is, the way we, is there a way we can spread the gospel and worship God and comply? I think scripturally, to your point earlier, if there's a way to comply, we have to comply. Mm -hmm. Up until it crosses a line, you know? That's where I had the biggest, we can just go there. I, the, the, I had the biggest problem with all of this COVID stuff was the uh, the idea that was being sold, I guess you could say by some that, well, we're just going to meet because, you know, bless God, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, et cetera. And I get all of that. 
but we have such amazing tools at our disposal in this generation that even if you had to take some time and not be physically together, you can still have a service in some way, still do things to facilitate gathering with the people, maybe not physically, but then it's also adding another layer to it. Like when do we just say, yeah, the government said this, but we need to just go ahead and do it. And for us here in Florida, honestly, we got, we got it super easy compared to some places. Yes, we did. Because our governor was like, man, you guys can pretty much just do what you want. There were recommendations for a while, but there was nobody getting arrested. There was none of that kind of stuff going on. And you do have, you do have that part of you that wonders when I look back at at the book of Acts, I say, where is the impetus from scripture that if I have a church of a thousand people or 500 people, that all of them have to be in the same room in order to be a church. I don't have an answer for that. I mean, read the book of Acts. They were getting together house to house throughout the week. That was the gathered church. Um, you can, there was a lot of ways to facilitate small groups and, and throughout there and, and churches had different ways of doing this, but it did no doubt. I mean, we're kind of just toying with these ideas. We're not drawing stark lines for anybody, but I mean, tell me, and this, this conversation is still going on around the world as this podcast airs, as people are getting arrested for having churches for, for, I'm sorry, for gathering to meet. So it's, it's a very real balance that has to be struck. And it's, and it's something that it shows you this debate is not over by any stretch of the imagination. It has made me wonder too, you know, we see historically in the creeds and stuff, Baptists really encouraged complying with government orders and stuff. Where would our, if I can think of it through the lens of our forefathers, where would they have drawn the line? Where would they have said, okay, the government's been telling us to do X, Y, and Z to protect people, but this is enough. Like, let's move forward. It makes you wonder, like, what would our our Baptist brethren from days gone by, how would they have exercised this? Sure. And something else to consider is all over the world today where there is real government oppression of religion, you see them having church services, Mm -hmm. but avoiding persecution as much as possible. So they will conform the way they worship God, the way they meet, the way they do all of the spiritual disciplines, they'll conform those as much as possible so that they can stay out of the eye of people who are trying, who would, who would meet, who would do them harm if they found out it was happening. So in light of that, isn't there, isn't that kind of an encouragement to us? Hey, it doesn't matter what the government says. We can be faithful to God. These, these churches, these underground churches in China or in all over the world are doing this all the time, being faithful to God to the best of their ability. We you're telling me we can't do that in the United States. Of course we can. And yes, it might mean in, at some level, it might mean breaking a rule. But should we do it to the greatest degree possible at peace with all men, including in our civic relationships? I think the biblical well, answer to that is yes. There's a difference between breaking a rule and intentionally poking the bear too. Oof. And unfortunately, I think we've seen a lot of the latter and not so much of the former. Yeah, we tend to not disagree quietly in America. We disagree loudly, which can be a good thing. I mean, it's kind of like a birthright of being an American. We we put our (laughs) ideas out there in the street. We put our ideas on Facebook. They're not doing that in China. Mm -mm. Um, We do that here. And that can be good. It can be good because it fosters conversation. But but there's a balance there for sure. And that's something that should be done prayerfully. That should be done 
uh, to in a way to be filled with the spirit. But I think it's easy to get to think you're fighting the good fight of faith and, and you're, you're just finding a way to express that fleshly desire to nobody's going to tell me what to do kind of thing. We could go on and on and on about that. No doubt about it, because that's a still a very, very hot topic. So let's put it this way. The separation of church, the, the struggle for separation of church and state is far from over, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> we want that to be the case. Uh, we want there to be a free church in a free state. Um, I know the Baptist uh, faith and message says this. It says church and state should be separate. A free church and a free state is the Christian ideal. And Baptist, uh, we, you know, vigilance is the price of freedom including religious freedom. And so we care about it. Religious freedom is not the end all be all. We don't need it to worship God. We don't need it to serve God. We don't need it to be faithful to Christ, but it's something we should encourage. No, no doubt about it. Claire, I just wanted to throw this out there. We must not be very entertaining because Emma's just out. She gone, man. Yeah. Emma, my youngest daughter asked if she could come watch us record the podcast. And I told her as long as she was quiet, she could do it. And she is gone. I guess we're not all that entertaining. I know. After it's all. really instructive for, <laughs> we need to really work on this content, Josh. Yeah, we need to spice it up a bit. <laughs> we need to, uh, do more, some more homework before coming on this thing. Man. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to get something else going. Maybe the next time we record, we can try again. <laughs> But Baptists have suffered very severely for this doctrine of, of separation of church and state. They, they campaigned vigorously for religious freedom, not just for themselves, by the way. And this is an important thing. We do not just fight for religious freedom for ourselves. We fight for religious freedom for everyone. That means anybody has the right to believe religiously whatever they want to believe. Well, and that goes back to individual soul liberty and the liberty of conscience. Right. The, the goal is not toleration. It's freedom, actual freedom. And that's, that's an important distinction to make. We're not talking about religious tolerance, but religious freedom. That's right. That's important to remember that because they are not the same thing. And they have two very different ways that they get played out. If you're just tolerating something at some point, you can exterminate it if you wanted to Yeah. with religious freedom the idea being there is no end to that. It's open and available to everyone. Just wanted to throw that out there. Maybe this is a good time to segue into this, Josh. What we've been talking about is the state's intrusion on the church and how to balance that. Maybe it's a good time to say separation of church and state also means that the church does not try to utilize government for its own gain. Yeah. As an agency of the church to promote religion. Well, wouldn't that if that's what the church chose to do, would that not be two things? A lack of trust in the sufficiency of Christ to build his church. And then two, a lack of trust in the fact that God's word is sufficient and enough. Absolutely. Yeah. You're saying that the church is not, is not enough. We need the help of man. We're going to turn to the help of man where we need, you know, we're going to bab we, we, we want to just make disciples and we can't do that unless the government is going to force cooperation. Sometimes we can even do this with, um, trying to force people who are not Christians to hold Christian ideals. So maybe I'm not forcing you to become a Christian or to be a disciple, but I'm going to try to use the force of government to help, to make you comply with Christian ideals. That's not what religious freedom means. It's not what the separation of church 
and state the separation should state forbids that as well. So we should work to pursue. Paul talks about persuading men. You never see Paul um, you, trying to use the 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 force of government. You never see Jesus and the apostles trying to use the force of government to spread the message of the gospel or to or to win people to Christ. They don't mind witnessing to religious to public leaders. They don't mind re- witnessing to politicians. They're and all they're about not, that. And they're not anti-government either. No, they're not. They're not. Uh, matter of fact, they got accused at times of being, you know, what's the word? Anarchist. They get accused of being anarchists. Yeah, and zealots. The problem was they never did it. They never raised up arms against the government. They never uh, got engaged in that. Well, and some of the things I read leading up to this episode is some of the great fears about the separation of church and state is that people believed it would lead to anarchy. And I, I don't know that I've seen that played out in any context. No, it actually decreases that, that likelihood because if you're going to go have a political revolution, if you believe in separation of church and state, you have to acknowledge that it's political. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to mix the two and say, oh, I'm doing this for God. No, there's people can disagree on whether a political, a political revolution is necessary and both believe in God and both follow Christ. They can, because those things are political in nature. Well, and you see that was, it was all muddied up when you look at the, the crusades of the Roman Catholics. Oh yeah. Yeah. You want to do a lot of damage to the cause of Christ, slap his name on a political movement, like a bumper sticker and say that everybody has to agree with you about your politics. That is doing a lot of damage to the name of Christ. And I think that happens a lot. I think you have that happen a lot. And it's happening, by the way, in the United States on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. People slapping Jesus as a bumper sticker to their political beliefs. Like Jesus is the Trump card. (laughs) How about these guys that say things like, oh, if you cared about the poor, you would support my policies because I care about the poor. And this is a government program that will help them. Uh, How about these people who say, Oh, if you actually were a follower of Christ, you would vote the way that I'm going to vote because they're going to do X, Y, and Z or A, B, and C. Because uh, if you if you really if you're really a follower of Christ, you'll vote how I'm voting. That's really problematic. I'm I don't believe to be a follower of Christ, you have to vote at all. Uh oh. I believe you can be a legitimate, faithful follower of Christ and not vote. I know pastors actually who have chosen not to vote at all because they believe entangling themselves that, because people. Just in a in a very social normal way, people want to know what do you think, and they're worried that if they get in the process of voting, it could compromise their soul fidelity to the gospel message. They don't want to be known for any other message. They don't want to be known for making any other arguments. I can respect that. Yeah. I mean, who did Paul vote for? We don't know. We have no idea. So I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. That's not the case I'm making. I mean, I was going to say, I would over the last election, I searched and searched and searched for the verse that said. I had to vote one way or the other, and I never could find it. Yeah, this goes back to biblical authority, right? Yeah. (laughs) No, and it is tempting, especially when you feel strongly about something. But vain is the help of man. I mean, there is so many times we believe that the next next president, the next political party, the next this is going to fix A, B, C, X, Y, or Z. Man, the gospel is what changes hearts. And I'm not saying that, that politics aren't important. I'm not, I would never say that. I have very strong feelings about moral issues that politics is in the middle of. I'll just give you one example. Being pro-life. Mm-hmm. Cradle 
to grave, conception to the day you die, I'm pro-life. Right. I believe in protecting life and it should be protected and it should be valued at every stage. We are made in the image and likeness of God. From the moment you're conceived to the moment you take your final breath, I believe societies, that's a moral issue to care about life. Tell me that doesn't get all tangled up in both political parties. Oh yeah, for sure. And so of course, political issues matter. I would never say that they don't, but the mission of the church is to transform hearts and lives with the power of the gospel, not by the mechanisms and the agencies of men. And that's super important. That's the separation of church and state. We should never unify the mission of a temporal kingdom with the mission of Christ. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, great quotes that came out of the Civil War was somebody asked Abraham Lincoln, do you think God is on our side or do you think God is on their side? And Lincoln's response was, I think we should be asking ourselves whether or not we are on his side. Yeah. That is a true quote. God is not on your, God doesn't ride a donkey or an elephant. And he's not come to prop up your kingdom. When Jesus comes, he'll obliterate all earthly kingdoms and institute his own. Yeah. And so while politics can be important, while the, how government interacts in our lives is important and how the church relates to these issues is important. We have to be very careful that we make it absolutely clear the church is about the mission of Christ. Especially moving forward in our day where everything is so politically charged. Oh my goodness. You can't, you have to be so careful anymore about what what you reference that is political because as soon as you say something, you're either, and you don't get to be painted as a normal balanced person, you're either, <laughs> you're either ultra right wing conservative or you're woke. And you, there, there's no middle ground. So we have to be very careful and use discretion, especially as ministers moving forward, how we're going to handle this, the politicized um, environment that we live in today. Jared mentioned this, Jared Wilson, if you haven't listened yeah. to his interview, go listen to it. But on our last episode, he actually mentions this because you do, as you were just saying, Josh, you talk about moral issues and people think you're talking about political issues. No, we're talking about what the Bible teaches. Well, but that's true about societal issues. If you talk about taking care of the poor, some people think that means you're woke. If you talk about race issues, well, now you're woke. Yeah. Or maybe I just care about what the gospel says. Yeah, how about the fact that Paul talked about those things in his letters to the churches and in, in the epistles? I mean, Jesus, what, I mean, Jesus would be on the scene today and people would think he's ultra conservative and he's woke all at the same time. Like, let's just be real about that. Yep. Uh, yeah. And you can't preach biblical sexual ethics without being considered a homophobe or, or things like that. It's everything's political. So you're constantly as a minister today, preaching the truth of God's word and having to let everybody know in the process, Hey, by the way, I'm not here to, to jump into one of your political parties. I'm preaching the truth of God's word. You almost have to constantly repeat that. And even in the future, we're going to have to start calling out the political idolatry that paints everything as politics. And we can't just be people. I can't just be neighbors with you. I can't just be somebody who loves you. I can't just be somebody who loves God and is trying to follow Christ. Um, everything can't be political. We've got to back out of that. And just because you don't take a stand in the pulpit about one issue or the other necessarily, that doesn't mean that you're a centrist either. It just means, in my opinion, you have a little bit of discretion and you won't get inside all of this 
mess that politics has become. And, and going back to the, the COVID stuff, we saw that there. It felt like every decision a pastor made was a political decision. It was like, oh, you're wearing masks, or you're, you're asking people to wear masks? You're, the, you're one of those guys. And you literally would hear people say it that way. Oh, yeah. You're one of those guys. Yeah. Oh, you, you're opening up your church again to have services? Oh, you don't care about people. You know, you don't care about the people that are dying. You're, you're one of those guys. And I mean, people didn't realize that pastors are sitting in their office agonizing over what to do next, pulling their hair out because what do you do? How do you handle this stuff? It's kind of like the guy who, who uh, came up to a pastor after a service one time and said, you know, I liked what you said there, but there was one thing you said in your sermon that I, I just, I had some thoughts on and I saw this on a YouTube video <laughs> and the pastor said that told me, he said, I wanted to say, do you know how many hours I was searching for God's searching God's word on that very specific thing you're bringing up? And I'm not sure I articulated it perfectly, but I did the best I could. And it was based on several hours of digging in God's word and in commentaries and in other Bible teachers. And you're second guessing it because you watched a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. it, there is some grace that's due to our pastors and to our ministry leaders where we where we stop pigeonholing them. As they're not a puppet for a political party. And, th and if they are, that's a problem. They shouldn't be. That's not their job. So don't ask them to be that. And don't demand that they, that they agree with, uh, with, with you or paint them in a political corner. That's, that's a dangerous thing. And I, this is all sort of tangential, I guess, to the separation of church and state, but I think it's all relevant yeah. in this conversation. Josh, what do you think about, um, just as a as a sidebar to this conversation, another another area that this touches, what do you think about churches who celebrate, you know, major milestones in a country's history? Do you have a problem with that as a way of sort of some civic pride or some some hey let's celebrate this? I can't I can't say anything biblically that makes it wrong. I just think we have to. Well, there's got to be grace, and we just have to use some once again some discretion. Because that's one of those things, especially in America, we love, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I'm a pretty patriotic person. You know, I'm all about America. Like, I'm not, I'm not patriotic at all, Josh. I, I, I didn't figure, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's easy. We, we have to kind of leave that at the door when it comes to church, because it's very different kingdom, very much more important kingdom. And I think it's okay to take some time like we're this will be airing the 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 Monday at the not the 5th but the uh what would that be the 12th of July. So last week was 4th of July. You know, we just had 4th of July service. We took some time and you know, recognized America and the great freedoms that we have. But I I think there's a difference Clay and, and maybe maybe you disagree, maybe you don't in taking some time one Sunday a year and maybe you have American flags set up in the auditorium and maybe everyone's wearing red, white, and blue because apparently if you don't like you're out of touch with fashion or something <laughs> and, and all of these things, maybe there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe the problem shows up when we get so consumed with our patriotism in the church that we miss the greater mission that we're here for. And I've seen that where you, you see a church that you, you can't figure out if their, if their banner is the cross or the American flag, 
you know, if their, their favorite colors are the crimson blood of Christ or the red, white, and blue, and people are left scratching their head. Are these people, uh, an extension of the United States or are they part of the body of Christ? And I think that's something we have to be careful about. And I, I'm sure that those cases are few and far between, and that's an extremist thing to say, whatever. But I think we, we have to be careful. We have to give some thought to that. I don't think it's as strange as what, as you, as you think it is. I'm a very patriotic person. I love this country. I wouldn't want to live in another country yeah, I mean, in the world. Yeah, I mean, you say you have like this huge American Eagle tattoo on your back, like holding <laughs> the American flag? <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't have that. But I do. I, I am a super patriotic guy. I mean, I, I love this country. Absolutely love this country. Um, I just wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Uh, and I and if God called me to, I would. But I, I love living here. And it's I still believe it's the greatest country on earth. But that's not a biblical position. That's just my personal feeling because I happen to be born here. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I know this. I, I am concerned for... It's not that the American flag is on the pulpit. That doesn't bother me. But if if the leadership of the church decided to take the American flag off the platform, would that cause problems? If it would, maybe you're revealing some idolatry there. Oh, yeah. And the church should be about, a, we're an embassy of a different kingdom. So it actually matters that the messaging coming from a church is the messaging of the cross. It's Jesus it's not God and country. It's, it's Christ and him crucified. Mm -hmm. This bleeding together of if you are actually a Christian, you will care about my, you will be a, you will, you will agree with me on nationalism. That's, that's problematic. It's idolatrous. Mm -hmm. And my concern would be that if a, if a, if a, let's say a Chinese immigrant came to the United States who was a Christian in China and who didn't have the gratitude that we do because they didn't live in a country that gave them the freedoms we do. And they come to America and they, they're just in love with the fact that they can just worship God freely. Now, would they come to a church service honoring a major American holiday and leave confused because they couldn't really connect with all the patriotism because they're not from here. That would be problematic for me. So what, what I would say about this subject is treat it like we had fathers. We're recording this on father's day. We took some time this morning to thank fathers. We had gifts for fathers at our church service. That's a good thing. Take a moment for it. But did we worship fathers? No. We worshiped the father, God yeah. the father. And so there's no confusion about that. Yes, take a moment to thank your mothers on Mother's Day. On July 4th, have a moment to say, hey, we're so grateful to God for this wonderful country we live in. So since there's a there's already a broader cultural and societal celebration going on, I don't mind that having some influence on the service in some way. Just make it absolutely clear when we leave church this morning, what we were here to worship was Jesus Christ. And I think we have to remember that the church is meant to be a refuge from all, all of the things that we're bombarded with in the world the pressure to politicize everything, even if I could say it, the pressure to be extremely patriotic. You know, the church is a place where your next door neighbor who may not give two flips about politics and who isn't as patriotic as you can show up and you can show up and be extremely patriotic and care a lot about politics, be best friends with Ben Shapiro and all of these other people <laughs> and show up in church and be brothers for the common good of the gospel 
and not have to worry about what your politics are. Yeah, we're, we're really getting to an area of worship, Josh, because this is, this is so central to what it means to be a Jesus and gospel-focused Christian. What happens, Clay, if things in this country get real bad, like towards those who are Jesus followers? I mean, are, are we going to let our patriotism limit us at that point? Or would we just back off of it a little bit? We'd start, we'd start not talking about it. Yeah, like what are, what are you more concerned about? People knowing how much you love this country or people knowing that, yeah, I'm following Jesus. It doesn't really matter the direction this country goes. I'm a little worried that there are some who people would be like, I really don't know what decision they're going to make in all of this. And that's kind of, that's a little bit concerning. Yeah, we can have gratitude for the freedoms we have in this country and yet be honest about the fact that we might not always have it and this isn't heaven. I'm I'm my ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Yeah. And that this is just a pilgrimage in this place we're in for all of its benefits for now. I mean it's really has been this little couple hundred year oasis for Christians and it's wonderful and I praise God for it. And I know that most people do as well. I mean we're obviously not knocking on the fact that <laughs> that we're free and yeah. how we love it. Absolutely. The church should be a place where your deepest affinity and deepest love is the same. And that is for Jesus and for God's word and for our common bond that's deeper than any other thing. And I should have more in common, Josh, with somebody who is who shares none of my political leanings, mm -hmm. is not my same cultural background, did not come from the country I came from, does not share the color of my skin, but loves Jesus and is a disciple. I should have more in common with that person than at a political rally that shares my politics, that shares my country of origin, that shares my color of skin, but doesn't have Jesus at the center. Mm. I should have more in common with that person with that shares my deepest affinity. And if I don't, if I feel more comfortable with those who don't know Jesus, but share all of those other things, I'm showing those things are probably a little too important to me. And maybe that deepest affinity in the gospel is not quite important enough to me. And this is something we all have to continuously consider, but you said it well earlier. You said we should be able to come into church and it shouldn't matter what your political leanings are. We should be a uniter on the gospel. And I think, I think we'll probably get a little pushback because it's not exactly a, um, our, uh, maybe our conclusions that we've drawn are not maybe always welcome necessarily or appreciated, but I think it's worth, worth pondering upon. And, you know, maybe, maybe to those of you out there in podcast land, maybe we're wrong. Maybe we missed the boat. We'd love to hear from you. And maybe if there's like some nuance here that we didn't consider, please reach out to us and let us know. And uh, I think we're both the kind of guys who, if if you got something that you want to share that we may have missed, we'd love to hear it and Absolutely. be willing to reevaluate our position. Yeah, it's just an it's it's such an interesting topic, and I know that the last couple of election cycles, I, I feel like, have become so apocalyptic. Ugh. you know where where it's like both sides are telling you it's the end of the world. Well, in four years, when we elect, <laughs> when we have another election, I'm getting rid of social media until it's over because. It's just too much. It's gotten where it's so toxic and so political and so 
mind numbing where you have to be outraged enough. You have to be up on the topics enough. You have to care as much as I care because it's going to be the end of the world every four years. Josh, when's the last time you didn't hear a president say, this is the most important election of our lifetimes? <laughs> we've heard, I don't know. <laughs> we've heard, we hear that every four years. How can it always be true? Yeah. Well, they're saying that to get you to vote for them. They, they can't capitalize on calmness. They can't capitalize on, hey, things are pretty good. <laughs> we have a great country. Uh, that doesn't sell. You know what sells? Fear. Yep. Fear sells. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. That's not really part of the episode. That's just some extra stuff that has been on my heart. Like, don't, Josh, Pontius Pilate was a political leader. Mm-hmm. He was the most influential, polit- well, one of the most influential political leaders that day. I mean, you know, Pontius Pilate was a big deal. You and I only know who Pontius Pilate, we only know that name because he was a footnote in the story of Jesus of Nazareth. Right. And I got news for you. If you're listening, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, you will, they will only be footnotes in the story of Jesus Christ. His truth is marching on. His kingdom come, his will be done. And I'm telling you that I am more pumped today to be a part of that kingdom. I'm more excited today to be on that team. I'm looking forward to my king coming. Everybody wants to talk about who whose president is. The election doesn't go their way and it's not my president or it is my president or oh, it is your president. I, all I'm interested in is who my king is. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. And so that's my encouragement to you. Let's dig deep in what we have in Christ and what our future holds and hold everything else with a with a with an open hand. Be grateful for all the gifts he gives us, including in our case, a wonderful country that we live in that has a lot of freedoms. And and in the meantime, believe in separation of church and state. That's right. Render to Caesar with Caesar's. Render to God what, what's God's. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. Right now, I don't know what you're doing. And unless it's unsafe to do so, I need you to just stop. I need you to open your email browser. I need you to type in the two line, the Young Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. And I need you to send <laughs> us an email with your question for the QA. I need you to get on Instagram and get on our story and answer the question on our Instagram story. I need you to go on Twitter <laughs> and I need you to, to tag us on Twitter so we can get your question because we want to make the Young Baptist podcast great again <laughs> by answering your question at the Q&A episode. <laughs> That was awesome, Josh. Oh, no, seriously, get, hop on the socials. Let us know. We would love to hear from you, and we, we're excited. We're, we've been talking about maybe going down to a, a brand-new coffee shop here in Panama City and recording that podcast live in the coffee shop because, you know, we have this thing about coffee. So that may happen, but we really uh, would love to hear from you and to get your questions so we can get that episode put together and going. I guess that episode will be out two weeks from today. So if you have not turned in your question, please, please do so. Clay, it's been a good, I guess, six 
almost seven months now going through and talking about the Baptist distinctives. I don't know about you, man, but I've learned a lot. I've been refreshed on a lot oh, yeah. about our what we believe as Baptists. And um, man, I don't know if our listeners have been been helped in any way. I know we've heard from some of you, but man, it has helped me immensely over the last several months. Yeah, I completely agree. It's been amazing. And it's it's hard to believe that it's finally like we're finally buttoning up the Baptist distinctives, but it's kind of cool to see where we're going to where we're going to take this thing from here. Yeah, I'm excited about what's next. No question. It's been a, it's been a great journey so far and to finish this first chapter is is just is just exciting. And shout out to everybody that listens. Me and Clay, I don't know how often we talk about it at least once a week. How how blown away we are at the amount of support that we've received. So thank you guys so much for coming along on the journey and for just being a, a committed part of the Young Baptist Podcast. It, it means a lot to us. It's super encouraging. And hopefully uh, the, our, the, our best days on the Young Baptist Podcast are ahead of us. Well, Clay, what do you think, man? There it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Baptist Pod. And check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Young Baptist Podcast. Podcast.